Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris Franklin. And I'm Cindy Franklin. And today we're going to go over some of the listener feedback we've gotten from you guys. Um, Keep it coming. Keep it coming, yeah. Uh, I think that's a good way to start out. Um, Any comments, uh, reminders, because (laughs) I've forgotten to to put those in the actual episode sometimes. Um, So any comments, questions... Anything like that, uh, send them to supermatespodcast at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our blog, supermatescomic.blogspot.com or you can uh, go to our Facebook page and leave us a comment there. There's all sorts of ways to get in touch with us, so please give us some feedback. Um, If you listen to the show through iTunes, you can leave us a review there. That'd be great. We actually do have an iTunes review that will... That we'll read later in the show, but we wanted to—we've uh, been wanting to do a listener feedback segment for a while, and we just decided to save it back for its own separate show. Um, and uh, I wish we could call it something. You know, we, we uh, on the Fire and Water podcast, uh, Shag says listener feedback and does this really cool echo sound effect, but you know, you can't really—I can't really think of anything else to do beside <laughs> that. So we'll just say this is the feedback episode. Uh, before we get into that, um, a few uh, random geeky things. Uh, we saw the Amazing Spider-Man two. It's been mm-hmm. it's very been, good. It's been a while. We we both enjoyed it. Uh, the The movie's been getting beat up quite a bit from the uh, the geek crowd. Um, I I don't I don't really go for that. I mean, I think you know, I kind of knew going in that the villains, you know. <sighs> The Spider-Man movies just haven't had the best portrayal of the villains. No, uh, no. to me, other than than Doc Ock, the I thought he was handled well, although he was changed quite a bit from the comic. Um, They've just been handled cheesily. Well, that's I think. yeah, and you know, to me, and and I know people say, oh, Spider-Man's got the the best rogues gallery, or some say the second best rogues gallery. And I won't argue with second best, but I will definitely argue with you about best uh, Batman. Anybody. But anyway, the Spider-Man villains have always kind of taken a back seat to the the story of Peter Parker and, and his supporting cast to me. That's that's what's more interesting. And uh, so in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 and the first Amazing Spider-Man, definitely the the romance between Peter and Gwen were at the for- was at the forefront and I expected it to be handled well in the sequel. Um, and it definitely was because Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are just very likable and, and, and do their jobs very well and they have a great chemistry and, and that, that carried the movie for me. Um, having said that the villains, especially Electro wasn't, you know, it was, it was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, it was actually a little bit better than I anticipated. So, uh, so, you know, I enjoyed it. Good time at the movies. 
now me and uh, our son Andrew saw Days of Future Past, X-Men Days of Future Past, but right. you didn't. Well, but that was only because I had a hard time deciding because our little girl is six and she wanted to see Maleficent. So, you know, I went and saw Maleficent with her and you all saw that. I will like, I would like to see it, but it's just a question of being able to sometime. Yeah, right. So. I, it, um, I won't go into any kind of spoilers there either, but I really enjoyed that movie. That was... Of the many X-Men based films, including the Wolverine movies, that's up there at the top. That's up there with X2 and uh, in first class. Yeah, I know you You and Andrew both came out of the theater raving about it. So. Yeah, it was it was really well done. And, uh, um, you know, if you're in and I know most fans know this, if you're expecting a, a, a very close adaptation of the comic, this ain't it. Uh, it's it name only and time travel plot device only. Uh, other than that, it's completely different, pretty much. Having said that, on its own merits, it's it's a really good movie, and and I'd recommend it if you've been a fan of any of these X Men films. Then I think you will enjoy this one. Um, so I think that'll handle all that. So mm-hmm. let's take a quick break. We'll uh, run a trailer for one of our pals' podcast or a great podcast, and we'll be back. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Okay. Now, our first set of comments we're going to be taking from Facebook. From J. J. David Wetter, Wetter, Weeder, of Superman Forever, Pad Smash, Starman Observatory, and others. He is writing in reference to one of our episodes regarding Robin's Reckoning, and he says it's still one of his all-time favorites. And we got, you know, listen to the show if you haven't already, and we would definitely agree with you. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, um, that is probably... And I think I said this in that episode, but the Batman animated series episode we did, that is probably my favorite episode of the original version, at least, of Batman the animated series, especially the first part of it, which is what we covered. Uh, so thanks to uh, J. David Weeder for writing us in on that. Uh, our next comment is from, uh, these are kind of random, just, just pulled from Facebook comments. I probably should have put them more in chronological order, but I didn't. Um, we got a comment from uh, uh, our pal Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics, and he says you're doing a Star Trek. Uh, a Star, Tre- oh, sorry, you're doing Star Trek. Awesome, loving the show so far, guys. Um, and actually, we got more from Andy later, so thanks, Andy. And uh, and apparently, he liked the show enough that you know we actually did a show with him um, that we recorded just recently. That'll be our next episode. So right. Right, so we actually recorded. We're we're doing like TV shows. We're recording shows out of order, uh, but yeah. So we'll uh, a little bit more about that at the end of this episode. Billy Hogan of the Superman Fan Podcast 
Listened to your first episode yesterday and really enjoyed it. I downloaded your promo to play on my next episode. That was really nice of you, Billy, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we actually reciprocated and, and ran your promo as well. And that's one great thing we've really learned is that the podcasting community, the, the comic-based podcast community, is, has really been great. Uh, I've heard uh, I've heard our uh, trailer on shows that I, I didn't expect to hear. I'll be listening to it. I'm like, oh, wait, that's me talking. <laughs> and I had no idea it was on there. So uh, thanks to Billy and everyone who has uh, uh, ran uh, the promo. And actually, the, our, next, uh, our next comment is from Professor Alan Middleton of the uh, relative, Relatively Geeky Network of Podcasts. And uh, he wrote, FYI, I played your promo on the latest episode of the Quarter Bend Podcast. So thank you, Professor Allen. Uh, that's uh, another example of how nice the the community's been to us, and we really do appreciate it. Okay, and now we're going to move on to Gmails, and from Alexander Adrock. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, just wanted to say that, that you all have a great podcast and to keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. We are trying our very best. Yes, we are. And uh, Alexander is a frequent uh, writer to the uh, Fire and Water podcast. He's always leaving some really thoughtful comments over there. So thank you, Alexander, for uh, sending that in. We appreciate it. Uh, so now we have uh, another uh, comment from Andy Leyland. He sent us a, a longer one. Now, Andy is, of course, the uh, co-host of Hey Kids Comics, which he uh, show he does with his son, Michael. He's also the co-host of the Fantastic Cast, which he uh, uh, does with Stephen Lacey, and he's got a new solo show called Palace of Glittering Delights, which you should really check out. And he wrote regarding the uh, Star Trek episode. Hello, Cindy and Chris. I have been enjoying the Supermates podcast a great deal, but it was the Star Trek episode that made me finally write in. I love the original Star Trek, and a list of top ten favorite Trek episodes would be all original series shows. And Chris is right. Of course I am. Next Generation, uh-huh. that was me, Adam. Next Generation is mostly boring. I'm sorry, but it is. There are numerous episodes that are good, solid sci-fi, but I don't feel it has held up as well over time as the original. None of the characters ever had this easy camaraderie of the original, and I never really cared about any of them except Worf. I, I, wholehearted, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And in fact, up until in recent years... I got sick of Worf. I felt like there were way too many Worf-centric episodes. Now, this is just from Chris. This is from me. This is my opinion. This is me adding in. But in recent times, the Worf episodes I have seen, I have considered some of the better episodes. So I've kind of gotten past that. Uh, but I, So I do agree with him. The other sequel, this is Andy again. The other sequel series don't really hold my attention except Deep Space Nine, which I think is aged better than any of the others. Starting with season four, the characters are real, the actors are comfortable, and I would hold numerous episodes of DS9 up against anything produced for the other shows as good Trek. The less said about the Abrams movies, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I will say I do. I have enjoyed the Abrams films. Um, I understand why some fans haven't, but I myself have. But, you know, your mileage may vary, of course. Cindy referenced the cardboard sets of the original, but let's look at this in context. Bonanza couldn't make the Ponderosa not look like a soundstage, and yet Trek was turning out alien planets and depicting the far-off depths of space every week on a TV budget. Yes, they may look a little chintzy today, but but compared to other shows of that era, they are light years ahead. 
For more on for more on the effort that making this show took, I heartily recommend Mark Cushman's These Are the Voyages, one of the best making of a TV show books ever made. And you know, I think Andy's right because you know, um, if you watch any old any period TV any show from that period, from the golden age of television up until you know up through the seventies at least, there is definitely a lot of very set driven TV shows. You know, I think in the seventies more they started getting out in the street and actually filming. You know, in your urban cop shows and and things like that. But um, like, uh, well, for instance. Uh, Barney Miller springs to mind. They were just had that one room. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, like, like you said, the Ponderosa. I mean, if you really look at it, it, it's clearly, it's clearly a backdrop and a couple of fences and a few bushes. You know, usually that that's supposed to be the Ponderosa. So, um, you know, I get where he's coming from, and you know, you you'll get the old hoary things of you know, uh, uh, tombstones blowing in the breeze and things like that. Uh, in a western, you know, and and so so you know definitely start and in a way Star Trek was a space western. So uh, uh, compared to them with the matte paintings and things they used that were actually uh, more akin to a you know pretty good production, uh, pretty good budgeted uh, movie, then I can see where he's coming from there. And that book, these are the voyages. I have heard great things about that. I do not have it, but I need to uh, remedy that. I think that would. I think I would really like that book from everything I've read and the recommendations from people. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking into that. All Our Yesterdays, this is Andy again. All Our Yesterdays is a good Trek episode. It's quite expensive looking for the third season where budget cuts meant there were more ship-based episodes and only one episode, The Paradise Syndrome, was shot on location. Marimone! Uh, <coughs> I got you choked up, sorry. It's just a rehash of City on the Edge of Forever, really, but Nimoy and Kelly give good performances. Shatner is rather caricatured in the third season, and the subtle, more nuanced performances from the first season are largely a thing of the past. I always had problems with the logic that being back in time made Spock revert to what his ancestors were like, whilst McCoy is unaffected, but Marriott Hartley delivers a pleasant performance. For a third season show, it passes the time. Keep up the good work on what is really a good show. On what is a really good show. Sorry. Again, thank you very much. Yes, thank you for writing in, Andy. So you take the next one here. Okay. Our next one is from Michael Bradley of the Superman and Batman podcast. Which is a great show, by the way. I wanted to drop you a note to let you know part one of your toy memories discussion brought back a lot of fond memories for me as well. I was never part of the Mego generation. I was born as their widespread popularity was dwindling. However, my childhood toy closet was filled with G.I. Joe, Masters of the Universe, Superpowers, a couple Transformers, and several cases of Hot Wheels. <laughs> in fact, the left-hand side of the photo included for the episode post at your blog could have almost been taken directly from my closet. Superpowers are a hugely important part of my childhood and um, adulthood for reasons that are probably obvious. But of the other toys, it's the G.I. Joes where I have the biggest and most vivid memories. In elementary school, the size of one's G.I. Joe figure and vehicle collection was the toy equivalent of a net worth. I remember countless hours spent with my friends discussing and playing with G.I. Joe toys. I agree with Chris. The USS flag was the holy grail for any kid with an interest in G.I. Joe. I never had one or knew anyone who did. However, one of my best friends in elementary school had the other holy grail, the Cobra Terra Drone. 
I still remember visiting him, walking into his bedroom and standing in awe upon seeing the pterodrome standing in all its glory in the middle of the floor. To my young eyes, it was pretty much the coolest thing ever. Cindy's recollection of her childhood favorites brought back memories of well, because I remember my sister and cousins having Barbies, strawberry shortcake, cabbage patch, etc. I have no specific memory, memories of my own there, but hearing her memories of them did bring the happy times of my childhood back to mind. Thanks for the great, epi the good episodes, Michael. Yeah, that uh, the the toy episode really touched the nerve. The two part eighties mm -hmm. toys ones. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on those, and uh, so we'll definitely be revisiting uh, not only the eighties toys, but like seventies toys and just toys in general. Maybe more going into more detail on some of the lines we mentioned here. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Michael brought up the uh, Cobra Terradrome. I had a friend who had that. I didn't have it. Uh, but, uh, that was a great play set because the, the, there was a, like a jet in the middle of the, it was like this big, almost like a stadium. And in the middle, there was this like, you know, well around the perimeter, there were all these like stations with computers and stuff. But in the middle, there was this, this part where this jet come up out of the middle. It was really cool. Um, just a, just a really imaginative, well done, uh, play set. Um, I did have, uh, some of my, another set of friends, they had the G.I. Joe, the, um, I think it was called the Battle Platform. It kind of looked like an oil rig out at sea, but it was like a, you know, an ocean-based uh, battle platform type thing. It was pretty neat. But, uh, so, yeah, thanks for writing in, Michael. And Michael actually wrote in, um, for the second episode, we split that one up into two parts. And he wrote in again, and he said, uh, once again, Chris nails it on the head. The Superpowers Hall of Justice is one of the coolest playsets ever. Now, granted, I'm a bit biased. As I said, I never had the USS Flag or the Terradrome. I never had Castle Grayskull, though I did have the Fright Zone. But for affordability, playability, and most importantly, cool factor, the Hall of Justice has my vote. I never even cared it was yellow. Oddly, I got so accustomed to the yellow that to this day, the white version looks like the oddity to me. My figure collection was more limited than Chris's. I had this Chris was uber spoiled. <laughs> that comes up again later. I had Superman, Batman, and Robin, of course. Green Lantern, Flash, Firestorm. There you go, Shag. And Red Tornado were there, too. For villains, I had Lex Luthor, Two Dark Sides, and the Joker. I also had Brainiac, but his leg fell, legs fell off. Too many high kicks, I suppose. And went the way of all broken toys. Looking back, I can see how the Superpowers toy line had a big effect on who would go on to become my favorite DC heroes and villains. I was not lucky enough to have the mail-away Clark Kent, but boy, did I want one. And still do. Uh, just real briefly, this is me coming back in with my own comments. Uh, the uh, Brainiac, uh, that was one brittle toy. The thing with Brainiac was he you squeezed his arms and his leg kicked. Mm. I had two different Brainiacs. Both of them had got their arms broken just from the squeezing. I, I don't know if it was because of the, the, the plastic was uh, vac metalized, so it looked chromey. The same thing they did with Cyborg later. Uh, but it... Or it just it broke. I mean, I, in the same place, so it had to be some kind of weakness, weakness in that weakness in that plastic, which is a shame. <coughs> but uh, yeah, that Clark Kent figure really is sweet. You really should get one. I don't think they, I don't think they go for too much nowadays. I, I think they're fairly affordable. Uh, you could probably find one in a con for you know, maybe he might not be in the most pristine shape, but yeah, that's a, that's a really nice figure. He's got a very Christopher Reeve type vibe about him, which I really like. I had the Batmobile and Lexor 7 as well. This is Michael again. 
I still have them along with the figures in Hall of Justice, though I'm pretty sure my Batmobile is worse for wear given all the times my childhood's engineering spirit had me disassembling and reassembling it. Oddly, given my love of Superman, the one thing I never had much interest in was owning the Supermobile. I guess even as a kid, I realized how ridiculous it was. You know, the Supermobile really gets a lot of flack from guys, and I, I guess I just took it as part of it. I, you know, I, it was on. They used it on the Super Friends. Uh, my understanding is is that uh, Corgi put out a Supermobile. This is this is me again. My comment that uh, they put out a Supermobile. They basically came up with the concept. Uh, with DC in the late 70s and they put out several different sizes, like a large size and a small size Supermobile which I had the small Hot Wheels type size one and I've got one now and I just kind of took for granted that that's what Superman uses when he's got to go up against Kryptonite or something but you know apparently it's just it, Sorry, I agree with Michael on this. It's lame. No, it's not just Michael. It's pretty much everybody but me but I guess I just never thought about it. I, I read something when about I'm in this lame Supermobile I'm like Supermobile's lame? Really? <laughs> I was last to know. Uh, this is Michael again. The only Secret Wars figure I had was Kang, which I received as part of a school Christmas gift exchange. I'm not sure it is fair to judge an entire line based on one figure, but I agree that at least the Kang figure wasn't as cool as any of the superpowers. It was, however, my earliest introduction to a lesser-known character from the Marvel Universe, so there's that. And as a side note, I really didn't care about the flipping image shields. I don't know if high concept is the right description, but for me it comes down to this. Action for that figure involved a time-consuming swap of cardboard pictures and a plastic shield. But for the superpowers line, squeezes legs and Superman punches a guy in the face. There's not a lot of contests there. Completely agree. <laughs> yes, and poor Michael, he got the absolute lamest figure in that whole line of Kang. Not that there's anything wrong with Kang as a character. You know, he's a time-traveling despot, you know, that's cool. But Kang, I think, has the distinction of being one of the worst peg warmers in all of action figure history. There were figures of Kang still hanging on the shelves in toy stores in the early 90s. I mean, that's how bad... I mean, from 1984 to, like, 1992, this dude hung around toy stores. And they just couldn't give him away. Uh, he was the last remaining uh, Secret Wars figure you'd see anywhere. So, no wonder you got him in a gift exchange. <laughs> Probably the mom got him on clearance. <laughs> yeah. Here, there you go. Yeah, sorry, Michael. I only own two Transformers, Starscream and a few GoBot Transformer-like toys that came from restaurant kid meals. I never got into the Transformers toys either. Too much time wasted to my mind doing the actual transformations. They never seemed to work quite right after a few switches back and forth. Yeah, they got wobbly. They did. I only had two, though, so maybe my limited experience plays a factor as well. A few childhood friends had quite a collection and seemed to enjoy them. I never owned any mask toys, but I remember seeing the commercials and thinking they were really cool. I give them credit. The idea of combining the best parts of G.I. Joe and Transformers is a great idea. Yes, Venom was a less evolved Cobra knockoff, but the Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem is a fantastic acronym. In the end, it just didn't work so well in execution. Maybe the lack of a popular Marvel comic behind it hurt. I don't know. What I do know, though, is that it takes guts to try and pull off a tagline like, Illusion is the ultimate weapon. You got guns? Oh yeah? Well, we've got illusions. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Waves hands. I guess that's all for now. <laughs> Thanks again for the enjoyable episode and the memories they brought back. Well, thank you, Michael, for the, for the very fun uh, response you gave us back. I really enjoyed reading those. And, of course, I wrote Michael back and forth. 
And uh, the whole illusion is the ultimate weapon part. I said, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, Mask had Doug Henning with him or something, you know, with his, you know, long perm and stuff. But yeah, that, uh, and like I said, uh, Michael is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Superman and Batman, uh, which just like you'd imagine, it's about Superman and Batman stories, mostly from world's finest. And he does a really good job of recapping and examining those stories. So definitely check that out. I think it's at greatcrypton.com. So I am and have been for years a uh, frequent visitor to the Amigo Museum. Frequent, I mean like at least six or seven times a day. A day. Not per week, not per (laughs) month, per day. The Amigo Museum board, which is at amigomuseum.com. Amigo Museum, of course... Started out, it's a archive about the Mego toy line, all the Mego toy lines, not just the superheroes, but all the toy lines. And uh, the forum there, of course, you know, started out primarily about Mego discussion, but that quickly spread into discussions of all things genre related. There's a, there's a, you know, comic section. There's a movie monster section. There's a sci-fi section. There's a general discussion section. There's a great section about customs. There's some great custom. Um, action figure artists over there, and it's just one of the best. If not, it's the best toy community on the web, I think. Um, you're not going to find a, a nicer bunch of people. There's not, you know, there's some. There's let's face it, guys. There's some internet message boards that are just a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I mean, you cannot go in there without just feeling like you just got beaten up when you leave. You know, but you know, if anybody like that shows up at the Mego Museum, they're shown the door pretty quickly. So. I would highly recommend if you have any interest in any geek-related things to check it out. I think you'll find something uh, to talk about over there and some and some good people to talk uh, with. Uh, so I post, I always post when I post a new episode, I'll, I'll uh, start a new thread about the episode. And we've actually gotten some really good feedback uh, from the Mego Museum. So we're going to read some of that. Um, let me read the first one. Yeah, I okay. know you want to. Okay. So, uh, uh, Brian Heiler is actually the, uh, I guess he's kind of like the curator of the Amigo Museum. Uh, he, he he's and, the godfather. He and, well, I guess Scott, Scott Adams is the founder, so he's the godfather. Uh, okay. So, so I guess maybe, I don't, I don't know the, te- the technical term, but basically Scott and, and Brian run the show and other, other great bunch of folks help him. But, uh, uh, Brian's also, um, the guy behind Plaid Stallions, which is a, a great uh, website that covers just uh, 70s and early all 80s. All things polyester. All things polyester. Good, yeah, good point. All toys and 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 fashion mockery of 70s stuff. It's hilarious. So I definitely uh, tell you to check that out. And he's also got a Pod Stallions uh, podcast he does once a month. It's always a great show. Him and uh, Jason Lindsay do that one. But anyway, Brian uh, writes, Great show, guys. I tuned in while I wrote tonight. And it's a nice listen. You sound great. Plus, I heard a brick plug. Can't beat that. Also, the production on your skit, really great stuff. The brick he's referring to is his uh, is Brick Mantooth, Brian's creation. He's a actual 70s fashion model that, that uh, Brian has kind of turned into the uh, mascot of Plaid Stallions. And he's even got his own action figure, his own Mego-type action figure. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, the skit he was referring to was the... Uh, uh, the Tumblr goes to school skit from Supermates Theater, which we've really got to do that again. Oh yeah, uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I had to let my voice recover from 
doing my Bale Batman voice. And, and thanks to our son, Andrew, for playing Robin in that one. We had a ball doing that. And me and him still still do the skit in the car every once in a while. We still remember our lines. Kind of disturbing <laughs> in and of itself. We just got to scream. Danny and I just got to scream in that one. Yeah, you guys just got to be the background screams. Uh, Jim's Migos uh, from the Amigo board, uh, he's got a website called Jim's Toy Box where he does uh, toy reviews. And uh, I enjoy that quite a bit. Listening to episode two, great stuff and a very fun concept. I missed this on the first announcement. I missed this on the first announcement. Got to go back and listen to episode one. Keep on rolling. The couple that geeks out together stays together. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and Wayne Foundation 07 says, "Great stuff. Just liked your Facebook page, which you know, like our Facebook page, and you'll get a notification every time we put up a new episode." So. Yep. And, you know, that's also a good place to comment. Yep, that's right. Now, Werewolf also writes, Okay, I just finished listening to it. I feel a little bad for your wife. Aw, that's sweet. <laughs> the 80s was an explosion of wicked cool toys for girls. Strawberry Shortcake, Glamour Gals, Jim, Rainbow Bright, She-Ra, etc. And she didn't get to enjoy most of it. That's a bummer. I never really got into the Cabbage Patch Kids, though, but I did have one of the Cabbage Patch Pets. I think it was a kitty. I will stop real quick and briefly mention that Werewolf is a female. I just... But, but go ahead. <laughs> um, she goes on to say, I was pretty lucky and got to play with and collect the best that the 80s had to offer, from Masters of the Universe to Strawberry Shortcake. When my mom was a child, there wasn't a lot of, cho- lot of choices of toys for girls. Mostly a lot of toy ironing boards and dishes. Whee! <laughs> Girls got to play doing chores. My mom grew up on a farm in a very rural area, and she actually played with and collected little plastic animals and die-cast tractors and stuff. Oh, and she also had a cap gun. She loved westerns, so when I was little, my mom was never of the mindset, you can't play with this or that, or can only have these toys. That's very cool of her. Yes, that is very cool of her. And I've, I try with our own children that I always, you know, if our little girl wants to play with, you know, her brother's toys, who cares? You know, yeah, big she, deal. She's got all his Imaginex superhero stuff in, in, in her room now, so. Yeah, she kind of just, you know, leached them out of his room slowly, yeah, one by as, one. As he and just stayed them, in she, there, yeah. she took them, yeah. Um, and she also wrote a second response. By the way, I can relate to you. I can relate to your story about getting Castle Grayskull and a bunch of Masters of the Universe figures for Christmas. The year they came out, I got the castle and the three-pack with He-Man, Tila, and Ram-Man, plus Skeletor and a bunch of other figures for Christmas. Okay, I gotta say, jealous? Yeah. I still remember the first time I saw Masters of the Universe figures. I was always into Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, and Ray... Harryhausen. Thank you. (laughs) Fantasy movies. So the first time I saw He-Man and Skeletor at the department store, my jaw dropped. Then I flipped over the card and saw Tila and the others on the back and thought to myself, Wow, these are the best toys ever! And she wrote us a third response. I totally forgot to mention this Masters of the Universe story. This was after She-Ra and the Horde had been introduced. I was shopping with my mom at Montgomery Ward. I got to pick out a present. I found a slime pit on sale. For those not in the know, it's this wicked-looking dragon skull thing that drips slime. Mm -hmm. What's not to like? So I go up to the checkout counter, and my mom gives me the money. I hand it to the checkout person, and they go, You want this? And I was like, Yeah, it's awesome. My mom's getting it for me as a present. The checkout person then said, if I'd gotten a slime pit as a present, I would have cried. My mom and I still got a laugh out of it. <laughs> yeah, that slime pit was really cool. That was Mattel. They had released slime in the 70s, and 
they basically own the, I guess they own the trademark, or they did own the trademark to the word slime as far as it being used as a toy. Hmm. And, uh, they, I think they got to the point where they put like, you know, rubber worms in it and everything else. I mean, they put all some bugs and stuff and it kind of died out, but they revived it for use with the, the horde stuff. But yeah, that is, that was a cool toy. The slime pit was, was really cool. I remember getting the, uh, they had the knockoff slime and the gumball machines back then. And my, my, my mom was really cool, but there was one thing she did not want me playing with that slime in the living room because that's where the good couch was and the good area rug was. So I was not to take the slime in there because it did stain. I mean, the knockoff slime at least stained. So uh, Werewolf actually wrote back when we posted episode two, she wrote a few comments. Okay. She says a few thoughts. Number one, and this was in reference to Chris, your mom was totally awesome to you. Yes, she was. I add that Christopher Dean, love you to death, but honey, you were just spoiled, 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 spoiled. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Number two. Again, I feel bad your wife missed out on so much 80s goodness. Not even Rainbow Bright. But hey, now Werewolf, I'm making it up to myself. I collect toys now and I get all kinds of stuff. However, number three, she says, your wife is so wrong on Jim. I still have a Spectra doll. Jim dolls are way better quality. Might be way better quality, but I can't help it. I just bought two Spectra dolls off of eBay after this episode because it got me thinking about them again. And, I mean, they're just neat and shiny. They're so shiny. I like them. I'll be honest. I'm kind of disturbed by them because (laughs) they look like they took a Barbie's head, lopped it off, and stuck it on a robot body. I mean, it's like the board came and assimilated, you know, the Barbie's universe or something. (laughs) I am Ken of Borg. You will be assimilated. You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they did actually use, if you look, the faces that they use are Barbie. Well, yeah, of course it's Mattel. They haven't made a new head mold in 40 years. <laughs> now, Christopher. Uh, num- number f- four on her thought, Transformers, the movie soundtrack, did indeed rock. I still listen to it. Yes, and I and uh, it was kind of funny because at the same time I was making, I was putting together the episode about the 80s toys, um, over at Hey Kids Comics, they did. Uh, they they actually talked about Transformers comics, which Andrew didn't know a whole lot about Transformers, and Michael only kind of had a passing interest in them. But people kept saying, "Hey, do Transformers!" And Michael's biggest reference to it was the old cartoons and the movie, which he liked, but he basically dissed the "You've Got the Touch" song. And uh, and then Michael, oh, that, that, Ma- yeah, Michael Bailey wrote in. He was upset because he loved that song, Michael Bailey, of Views from the Long Box and a million other great shows. And so at the end, that's one reason I put the whole song. Because I was like, hey, this song, hey, it's no cheesier than any other 80s pop song. It's actually pretty cool. <laughs> so <laughs> She also wrote, the Mask cartoon was okay, but the theme song is awesome. Yes, the theme song to Mask is awesome. And oddly enough... My sister was a big Bon Jovi fan, and there's a Bon Jovi song. I can't think of it. It's not one of their big hits. I think it's like right before they kind of hit it big. Uh, it sounds a lot like the Mask theme song, and it's it was really odd. I remember that, thinking, who ripped off who even when I was like 10 years old? You know, oh, Because yeah. they, they sound a lot alike. It could be coincidence. But She also wrote again, and she said, nah, you don't sound spoiled. Uh, hmm. I'm looking with a disbelieving face right now Christopher, yeah, trust me, he was 
Um, but she goes on to say, you, like me, were just lucky enough to have a great mom who loved toys. And this is true. His mother, he, she, she thought Chris was just, you know, the bee's knees. And she spoiled him and everything else. She's a great lady. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of toys, but I appreciated them and treated them like gold. It also helped that my mom collected toys as well. She had the My Buddy and Kid Sister dolls you mentioned. Unfortunately, the Chucky movies totally ruined them for her. Oh, I, I will say that th- th- this is kind of an odd st- uh, little after story. My mom, I don't think she probably had a lot of toys. Like, she, you know, kind of like uh, Werewolf's mom. She had probably a lot of domestic <laughs> domestic slavery toys, basically. <laughs> Ironing boards. Up. Actually, we still have, my dad has those in the basement, some of her some of her toys uh, that she had. Uh, but one cool thing that was found when my, when my, uh, when my grandmother passed away in uh, my, my grandparents had a little shack on their property that they called the coal house. And that's where my grandfather uh, kept his tools. Kept his tools. And- At one time it was there for coal, you know, to, for furnaces and things. And in a toolbox in that little shack, they, uh, my uncle found a watch that it was real dirty and looking, but you couldn't tell, you could kind of tell there was some kind of figure on the watch and it looked like some kind of superhero character. So we cleaned it up and it was a Mary Marvel watch and nobody knows for sure, but the best guess we can have is that that belonged to my mother who my mother, my mother's passed away, you know, back almost 14 years ago. Uh, but that had, watch had belonged to my mom as a kid. So my mom, I knew she was a fan. She had comics. She loved the Adventures of Superman TV show. But apparently she had a Mary Marvel watch. And now I've got it. So that was awesome to find that. And that that just story just reminded me that. And I, at some point I was going to bring that up on this show, so I thought I'd just bring oh, it up okay. now. <laughs> um, Werewolf also goes on to say, considering your love of Masters of the Universe, I'm surprised you didn't really talk about LJN. Dungeons and Dragons figures in this line. I didn't know if it was an acronym for Yeah, it's, I don't know what it's acronym uh, for. but Unlike um, Masters of the Universe, which was a mix of childhood-friendly fantasy, sci-fi, D&D was a pure sword and sorcery line with... Paladins. Paladins, elves, wizards, dwarves, goblins, ogres, and death knights. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this stuff because, yeah. you know, didn't collect it, so don't. Yeah, well, the only reason I know is because Paladin's a Marvel character, and that was the guy from Half Gun Will Travel. That was his name, Paladin. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I, again, it was one of those cases where I had a friend who had a lot of those, and uh, he was really into the big dragons they made, the steeds for the characters. I don't remember him having any of the action figures he may have but I know he had like uh, uh, what was that called the other world it was kind of like it seemed kind of like a He-Man knockoff but in a way I, I think it was just generally the fantasy stuff they had a castle that Sears advertised for several years in the catalog I think it was called Castle Zendo or something it was a really neat place that it had all these little rubber little creature goblin things and and it was just a lot of fun it had a lot of you know had ladders and and bridges and things like that. Uh, so I did play with that stuff. I just didn't own it. And and it was kind of odd because I really wasn't into fantasy stuff beyond the He-Man and Masters of the Universe. So it, that's just kind of why I didn't have it. But I did play with it at other kids' houses. Oh, you want me to read that one? Mm-hmm. Okay, so November's Doom wrote, uh, he's on the Mego board, 
My wife and I really enjoy listening to podcasts together, and she's recently started to get into my collector theme favorites like Pod Stallions, etc. So this is a great podcast that we can both equally enjoy and chat about. Thumbs up. Well, that's really cool that him and his wife are mm-hmm. listening to a podcast by a husband and, a wife, husband team. and wife team. So that's 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 great. I really appreciate that comment. Uh, actually, uh, we we just have as we record this, we just put up the uh, episode eight, which is the Alan Brenner Batman episode that we did with Rob Kelly, where mm-hmm. Rob came by, and uh, the response, the the downloads that have been crazy, <laughs> which is great. And, and uh, no doubt, because Rob has such a huge following, uh, and in fact, Michael Bailey has referred to him as the Rainmaker. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that when he's guested on Michael's shows, he's he's referred to Rob as the Rainmaker. So Rob did indeed make it rain here. But we got a comment from uh, Anthony Durso, aka the Toy Room, who is the master of custom uh, packaging for your custom figures. Mm. Uh, he does a fantastic job. In regards to episode eight, he said, great show. Listen to it at work today. So uh, thank you, Anthony. That was uh, very nice for you to let us know you listened to it. And uh, our uh, last comment we've got actually comes from Rob Kelly, who we just mentioned. It is the iTunes review he wrote. And the title is Charming. You want to read it? Sure. And he goes on to say, this sweet and funny podcast is hosted by a husband and wife geek team which adds a nice, fresh angle to the typical pop culture podcast discussions, comics, cartoons, Star Trek, etc. Chris and Cindy have a nice, easygoing rapport, and it's a pleasure to hear him discuss geeky passions from their unique perspectives. A fun show. Thank you very much, Rob. That's uh, coming from you. That means a lot. so that's all the comments we got. Like like we said before, uh, we'd love to hear more. So please, uh, you know, write us from the email, supermatespodcast uh, at gmail.com, or leave a comment on the site. Or, you know, you can leave us an iTunes review. That'd be great. I uh, understand they kind of bump you up in the iTunes food chain if you get a certain amount of them. So that'd be oh, nice. didn't know that. Yeah. So I mean, Algorithms were at work. Yeah, we're learning all that stuff. This is, you know, we're, and I think, I hope, that we've kind of we're kind of getting into our groove with the show you know i think or we even mentioned that like i think by episode three we figured out okay all even though i still apparently take way too many make too many notes oh but he's so sweet but but you know we're not gonna other than like a show like this where we reading your comments we're gonna kind of have notes look at them and ad lib as we go reading everything having a script just really doesn't work for us it just kind of, we, we want... It seems stilted. Yeah, we want to have the feeling that you're sitting in the room with us having a conversation. Because honestly, when you're not here, we're still having these conversations. Uh-huh. We're just recording part of it now. Uh, so, that's kind of the point of the show. Uh, you know, throughout the course of the show, we have brought up a few times what you do, Cindy, that you're a children's librarian at the local library. Mm-hmm. Because it's come up in comic discussion and things. But I don't think we've ever really talked about what I do, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail and toot my own horn, but just so you guys know where I'm coming from, like, what, what does this guy do? I am a graphic designer um, by day. Yeah, that's what I do. I, you know, I work at a, a safety comp- product company and I do graphic design, ads, manuals, brochures, you know, a little bit of web design, things like that. Um, that's, and, you know, that's how I pay the bills. Pretty good job. Like it. Went to school for it. Works out good. I have dabbled in, uh, Comic work, that was what I wanted to do, you know, growing up, wanted to be a comic book artist. 
I have done that, so I can say I was a comic book artist. I was, you know, but uh, you know, the 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 paying job with DC and Marvel <laughs> didn't quite materialize. You know, I think I was about, probably ten years too late or something like that, and didn't move to New York. So, but uh, but you know, I have done work for some smaller comic companies. Um, I have uh, I was a uh, partner in a comic company called Shooting Star Comics about ten years ago with some uh, uh, a group of really talented guys and we gave it a go uh the market was just horrible uh <laughs> yeah, all those guys have gone on to other things and have been successful in their own endeavors and uh there's still a great bunch of guys and very talented uh, uh since then i've kind of just uh just you know picked up things and done things as as they've come up uh, a lot of packages there. Yeah, that's that's the thing I've really enjoyed is uh, Castaway Toys contacted me uh, through the Mego Museum uh, about uh, doing some packaging design for them. They produced uh, Mego type um, figures. Uh, they were kind of uh, at you know there's tons of Mego retro style figures out now. Castaway was one of the early companies that, that stepped mm-hmm. forward and started reproducing. They they produced a really uh, great reproduction of the Mego body with some enhancements, and they put out a uh, eight-inch version of the uh, formerly twelve-inch Captain Action, fully licensed from the people that own Captain Action now. And uh, they did uh, Captain Action, and uh, they did a costume set for the Phantom and uh, Lee Fox Phantom and Redbeard his enemy. And they also did a separate Phantom figure that was just a, like a regular Mego type figure of the Phantom. Uh, and uh, another one of his enemies, and I, uh, I really enjoyed doing those. That was a great thrill for me to feel like, hey, I, I contributed a little bit to the history of these characters. Right. You know, uh, Castaway, unfortunately, through no fault of their own, had to take a break for a while. Uh, we, we did. Uh, they were going to produce a uh, Buster Crab Flash Gordon figure, eight inch size, which I did the packaging work for that, which is one of my favorite things I ever did. Unfortunately, it never made it out, which kind of stinks. Uh, but, uh, but they have come back and, uh, I've actually done some work for their, they've revived the old Mego uh, action Jackson character and I've done packaging artwork for that. So that should be out soon. And I've done other little projects here for the Mego museum and things like that. Uh, I've also, uh, written several back issue articles, uh, mm-hmm. for back issues from tomorrow's publishing which, if you don't know about Back Issue, uh, you're listening to this, you probably enjoy it. It's a magazine uh, that focuses on the Bronze Age of comics, mostly 70s and 80s, although now they've kind of added the early 90s. Uh, Michael Yuri Which is, lets us know we're all getting old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Michael Yuri is the editor of that mag. It's a great magazine. It's a great compliment to other Tomorrow magazines, which I enjoy, like Alter Ego, which, of course, is Roy Thomas's magazine. And the Jack Kirby Collector, which John Morrow himself does, and uh, I would highly recommend you know looking into Back Issue, uh, not just because I've <laughs> done articles for it, uh, but uh, it's always a great read. Rob Kelly uh, has written several articles for Back Issue as well. Uh, definitely check it out at Tomorrow's dot com, and uh, so that's kind of just a little bit of what I do. I'm going to put a link. Uh, on the page to the my Deviant Art Gallery, just mm-hmm. so people can see, just oh, you know, yeah. just to see, you know, this is what this guy does. Just so you have a little bit when you're listening to this show, you're like, oh, this is the guy that does that. It just gives you a little frame of reference. Not not trying to toot my own horn too much or anything, but 
just so you'll say this, what's this schmuck know about this stuff? I do, you know, I, I do, I got a little, a little tiny bit of cred here and there. So, so I uh, just thought I'd put that out there. Um, so next time, an all new episode of Supermates. I know what you're thinking and you're right. Chris, why are you ripping off Andy Leyland? Well, that's because Andy Leyland's going to be on the next show. And, which Cindy already told you, but I thought I'd act like it was new anyway. So, Oops, sorry. <laughs> so me and Andy were talking about, what do you want to talk about? I wanted to have him on the show and cause I've really enjoyed Hey Kids and me and him have corresponded back and forth emails and we've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed talking to Andy over email and wanted to talk to him. And I said, you know, what, what do you, what do you want to do? I know he's a big Spider-Man fan. I suggested the sixties cartoon. He said, well, what about the seventies pilot movie? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. So join us next time where Cindy and me and Andy Leyland will talk about the 1977 Nicholas Hammond starring Spider-Man TV pilot movie. And how to make a drinking game out of it. <laughs> and we don't drink. <laughs> but we wanted to after that. Cindy almost started drinking after it. So so, uh, so that's it for now. This was kind of a short episode, but... Uh, Thanks for again for everybody for writing in and uh, please send us more comments and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademarked and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. 